he basically was like, well, I, I'm going to arbitrage some products, not toilet paper necessarily, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand that shit, right? No pun intended. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, so on this episode of the Map Run Show, uh, we talked to Mark Miller. He's in a place called Ahihi or something like that, uh, just outside Guadalajara, I know we curate the best talent anywhere in the world, really anywhere. <laughs> but um, but he's a fascinating guy. He's a fascinating talent. He's a, the author of Repurpose Your Career, and he's built a, a very successful online business, careerpivot.com. He's also got a podcast. And the, the fascinating thing here is that he's 63 years old, um, and uh, he's doing all of this. And what he does, he actually helps uh, people in whichever career to pivot to create a life filled with meaning and hope and ultimately more cash flow and financial security. So if you're in the dumps, this is going to be an episode that truly inspires you. So without further ado, let's enter Mark Miller. And we're live. Hey guys, welcome back to yet another cracking international edition of the Matt Brown Show. Today I'm joined by um, a chap called Mark Miller. He's um, an author and we're going to dive into all things around career and pivoting. Um, he is in Ahihi, in outside Guadalajara. Did I kind of get that right, Mark? Yeah, it's A J I J I C. So Ahihi. Ahihi. Say that ten <laughs> times fast. <laughs> yeah, and we were practicing our Spanish, but we weren't. Uh, we weren't bore you guys with a very poor version of Espanol. Hey, Mark. So, Mark, um, hit us, hit us up, set this up for us. Um, you are an expert in career pivoting. Walk us back to the beginning. Where does where does this journey start? Where does the story start? Well, I'm I'm 63. I'll be 64 in another few months. Um, I graduated from college in the late 70s, and I like all good baby boomers. I went to work for a big company that would take care of me, that I was supposed to work for 30 or 40 years and ride off into the sunset, which, of course, 30 years in, they moved my cheese. So I went to work for the Borg, I mean IBM, um, where I worked for 22 years. And I, back in the 70s and 80s, companies like Generalist. So we moved around a lot. And I actually had about three, four different careers within IBM. And then in 99, they screwed me in my pension. I then gave them the single finger salute mm -hmm. and left. Uh, went to work for a successful semiconductor startup. We were, as we were talking beforehand, I was, you know, in the, in the day of coronavirus, I was in this epicenter of SARS back in 2002, training Huawei, the bad boy of China. And, um, that was a few months after I had a near-fatal bicycle accident. I was on my bicycle. I hit a car head-on at 50 miles an hour. Our combined speeds exceeded 50 miles an hour. Nice. And I, uh, I totaled the 96 to a Corolla. Uh, I uh, very simply, uh, I tore up a knee. I broke a hip. I dislocated a shoulder, broke a bunch of ribs, broke the clavicle. But I had no internal injuries and no brain injuries I'm willing to admit to. Um, they had me walking on crutches in three days. I spent five days in a trauma center. They had me walking on crutches in three days. I was back on a bike in 10 weeks, flying back to China in four months. And that's where I flew right smack into the middle of the SARS epidemic. <clears throat> and that's where I started asking me, why the hell am I still doing what I'm doing? Mm. Uh, that first tech startup, that was my mid forties. We were debt free. Our son was heading off to college. So I went off and, um, spent, I, I became a high school math teacher. Um, I could, I did that for two years. Couldn't do that and stay healthy. Um, I, I taught at inner city high school. It was, I was incredibly successful. It tore the crap out of me. And then I did a year of nonprofit work. I, then I joke, I relapsed, went into career. Uh, I went, uh, I went back into another tech startup, one of the original uh, high-definition video conferencing startups, LifeSize, huh. which was then later bought out by Logitech. And then we essentially 
uh, I started Career Pivot in uh, 2011-2012 because as I went through the Great Recession, I saw, I mean, I was involved with a job club that was, you know, we were having 400 people show up in 2009-2010 every every Friday. And they were all looked like me. They were all in the 50s and 60s. And they're all screwed. Mm. Um, and and I started looking at careers for baby boomers, and they said there was nothing. All the books was targeting millennials and Gen Xers, primarily millennials. And I'm going, why? Well, we're all going to retire. The reality, at least in the U.S., 80% of the folks my age are not going to be able to retire as planned. Mm. I mean, I live in a huge expat community in Mexico because people are coming here because they can't afford to retire in the U.S. Is that why you're there, uh, for that reason? Uh, we moved here because I've, I said, I, we talked before, I, I've worked in 40 different countries. Mm. Uh, I'm quite young for being here. We moved down here for health insurance and health care. Ah. Uh, the health insurance in the U.S. just exploded. So we said, and I've been, my wife and I have been talking about being expats for 30 years. This was just a push to get us to do that. Yeah, bucket and, list. Right? And I live on one-third the, the, the income. I just moved my business down here. My wife retired. Uh, in fact, I, I wrote a blog post a week ago on li being a digital nomad for two, the last two years. Sure. And um, which most folks my age don't do. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a matter of as we, I, I have transitioned from career to career to career. I've been a programmer. I've been an engineer. I've run a help desk. I've been in sales. I've been in marketing. Uh, I've been in. I, I've been in consulting. Uh, I've taught high school math. I've done nonprofit fundraising, um, and, and now I've. And I, now I have an online business. Mm -hmm. So, the reality is, most of the folks my age either don't want to retire like their parents did, or they can't afford to retire. Yeah. So okay. If we're going to work into our 70s and 80s, how do we do that? See, the thing, I, I, love, I love this subject because I haven't actually covered this before. Um, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a great believer. So I, when you say the words career pivot, this is exactly what I said to you before we went live, was that that sounds as if it were a perfect description of my entire life. It's been one big pivot. You know, um, from the first job, from waiter, waitering, to you know, going to London to getting my first job in the payroll department to doing rec bank reconciliations at Bonham's Auction House to you know joining Accenture um, or first you then going to Robert Walters Payroll to process pay slips. I made so much cash back then. <laughs> it was the the boom days, um, and then uh, moving to management consulting at Accenture, starting technology. I mean, I could literally bore you to death with the amount of pivoting. And then even in, in, um, in this current business, Digital Kung Fu, we've pivoted four times to get to where, yeah. we, where we are. And if we hadn't done that, we wouldn't have, wouldn't have achieved the success that we've had. Um, and so if you take the, the idea of, of pivoting, it's almost not a nice to have. It's an, it's an essential now. You know, if you think about, um, and, and you don't know your kind of, you know, 22 years at IBM, it's like everywhere you look, you see the same problem. You see people who are romanced about this idea, which is a false idea, that in, in employment, you are going to be safe. And that in, is true in some cases, but in many cases, the large majority of cases, it's not. And, um, and what they wind up doing is they, they climb this ladder for 30 years, or in your case, 22 years at IBM, they climb this ladder and when they get to their top, they realize that it, they're at the top of the wrong wall. Yeah. Yeah. I claim if you think your job is safe, you are smoking something and yes, you are inhaling and you better be doing it someplace where it's legal. <laughs> so uh, life You know, we've reached a point. I mean, right now we're we're recording this on uh, uh, the March seventeenth, and you know, coronavirus is shaking everything up worldwide. Mm -hmm. How are you going to adapt? That's it. Um, It's adapt right? or die. It's adapt or die. And and so, just like 
you said in in when I started Career Pivot in 2012, I've transformed this business multiple times because I've had variety different events that have caused the business to collapse, to come back. Um, as my demographic ages, I move to younger ages. We're seeing folks now in their 40s and 50s seeing age discrimination, which before it was always 50 people, 50s and 60s and older. So we're seeing a whole variety of different you know, problems as we come up, as we move forward. And one of the big things that I work with people on, I have an online community where the, the big thing is, is working on their mindset mm. um, and going, okay, I was raised to believe that my career would look like X. And the reality is things are changing. I call it, I've, I've got a whole chapter in my book on creative destruction. Creative destruction. Yes, creative destruction. When new technology comes in, it destroys old old jobs mm. and technology, but it creates new ones. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, this goes back to all the way back. the The classic example is in 1903 in the U.S. If you wanted music, you bought a piano. Mm. There are 400,000 pianos sold every year. Mm-hmm. Well, then the phonograph was created in 1877. That didn't really take off till till 1915. 1920 and then came the radio and then look at the you know the music industry today um is is totally transformed and by the way you can still buy a piano uh, they make about thirty thousand <laughs> a year um just look at just look at what amazon is doing uh just think about it i'm running this 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 call over my an iphone 6s Smartphones been around about fifteen years. Yes, there were smartphones before the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Were they there? Were they really? Yeah, I, had a, I, had a <laughs> I don't think they were, dude. <laughs> I had a CrackBerry. But, so did, uh, but, did you have but, the Razor? The Razor flip phone? Do you have no, that? no. I you just, I just had, a, I just had Blackberries. Which is Blackberries? You know, I, yeah. With the, you know, I like the real keyboard. But anyway. <laughs> But think about the amount of industries that the iPhone and smartphones have destroyed. Mm. Um, and and what Amazon is doing to retail. Yeah, well, it's dismantling retail. Yeah. It, by the way, the only difference is it's all accelerating. The rate of change is accelerating. Mm. So you you have to be prepared the way you can make money today is has drastically changed from just even 10 years ago yeah it's um it's frightening though because i there was one thing was like 64 percent of job titles that will exist in 2030 haven't been invented yet um you know and so that's a forward-looking view and but when you know we work with technology companies only and we can tell i can tell you now that the stuff that we're seeing um vendors original equipment manufacturers produce and at a technology layer at a robotic process automation layer is frightening the technology now um and you know it's the, the the disconnect here for me is that there's nothing that's going to really prepare you for this world um and it's like the you know i, I believe that to keep yourself relevant so to, i can only talk for our business but to keep ourselves relevant as a business and as a team we have to adopt adopt the philosophy that what we know today is going to be obsolete tomorrow and we need to unlearn and relearn everything that we assume to be true about the world because if we don't do that we will 100% we will become irrelevant if we don't fix that as a team and that's what keeps us competitive that's what keeps us relevant that's what keeps us valuable in the market um and it's this idea and this philosophy that you know if you're in a career and you feel like it doesn't truly light you up because the other thing also I say is like most people go to jobs every single day. They spend most of their weeks there. They make huge sacrifices with their family and with, with um, you know, financial sacrifices, etc. And they're sitting in a job that they hate. And that ultimately, if you fast forward 10, 20 years, it's a job that isn't going to serve you. And so for me, it's like, well, if you're unhappy in, in whatever situation that it is, and you are not prepared to make a change, then you must be happy in your misery.
Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. <laughs> yeah, one of the, one of my mantras is when I left graduated from college, I became an actor. I went to work for a company, I played a role. And by the way, I got really good at playing that role. And the problem was after 20 or 30 years, I mostly when I hit my 50s, staying in character became exhausting. Now, I'll use myself as an example. I became a geek that could speak. Hmm. I worked for a bunch of leading-edge high-tech companies, and I could get on stage. By the way, by the time I hit my 50s, wow, I walk off stage, and I'm a real high-energy guy on stage, and I go, thunk. And because we are – we're we're paid more to be extroverts. So I made myself to look like one, but I'm a big time introvert. Mm -hmm. You might be able to say I'm sitting in my Mexican concrete bunker here. Uh, this is my office. Um, it's, it's brick and concrete. And, um, you know, and I'm, I, I can work here all day. I'm just fine. Yeah. Now, Part of what has happened to many of us who grew up in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, we reshaped ourselves to make ourselves successful. Um, and it wasn't about, oh, go to work and be happy. It was go to work and make a dollar so you can pay your mortgage, put your kids through college, uh, put food on the table. It's not about going to work and being happy. Mm -hmm. yeah. And... And of course, and Matt, I don't know how old you are, but you're, I'm 40. you're probably old. Okay. I'm old enough to be your father. So the point there is. Matt, I am your folks, father. <laughs> is the fact that most of our children, what they do is they echo us. Yeah. In other words, when most of us leave home, we do one of two things. We either do exactly what our parents told us to do. Or we do the exact opposite. And I can give you lots of examples of that. Because my generation did the exact same thing with, with our parents' generation. Mm. Well, back in your day, uh, and I would say, like, you know, when you were, let's just say, when you were in your 20s, entrepreneurship wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't like, you know, you had friends going, yeah, yeah, I, one day when I leave school, I'm, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. That wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing back then. Well, yes and no. It, it was in certain communities because uh, you still had small small businesses. Now, high-tech entrepreneurship um, and the fact that, yes, there were entrepreneurs back then. I mean, Steve Jobs is a classic example. He, yeah, I mean, uh, Bill Gates. But the barriers to entry today are so much lower than so much easier. I mean... I've been through two tech startups. Both of them were bought out for over $400 million where I was, you know, at the first one, I was employee number 30 and the second one, I was employee number 100. And, but the, both of them needed millions of dollars to get started. Now you want to write an app. Oh, you get, you, you, you go down and get some space on AWS and, uh, you know, I used to say, go, go into WeWork. Um, <laughs> Whatever you do, don't go to WeWork. 
Yes. <laughs> I hate WeWork. I don't understand that yeah. bullshit. I really don't. Yeah. But anyway, so there is, um, uh, you, you know, you can, you can get started for 10, 10 grand U.S. Hmm. The barriers to entry are so much smaller. And, and with the regulatory difference in the U.S., it's so expensive to go public now and be a public company. Nobody wants to go public. So everyone wants to build that first product and go sell the whole business and go then, then, then go build the next. Mm-hmm. And so the ecosystem around tech has changed completely in the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. I've watched where I lived in Austin, Texas, where I lived for 40 years, um, where, where things went from lots and lots of hardware development with lots of money to need to get started to now, you know, you know, I run, I run career pivot on a shoestring. I have, you know, I have a, a web team in Austin. My, uh, my virtual assistant is in uh, central Florida. Uh, by the way, my, my co-author on all my books lives in Porto, Portugal. Now uh, my book cover designer lives in Ghana and we speak over, we speak free over uh, Facebook messenger. <laughs> yeah it's nuts man it's right. abs- it's absolutely nuts that's what i'm saying but you know so so i guess where, where we're kind of landing here is that you've got two schools of, of thought here one is that you want the, the security of a paycheck right and along yes. with that comes certain struggle a struggle basically <laughs> and then you've got uh, an entrepreneurship mindset because that's what you were saying right it's like the two different types of mindset so what we're also saying is that if you have an entrepreneurial mindset it's never been easier than it is today to start something, to connect with someone, to connect with thousands and millions of people uh, at, literally on a shoestring. Like if I want to reach, you know, 100,000 people on Facebook, I can spend literally a couple hundred dollars and it's easy for me to reach these people. Um, so your access to markets has never been easier. So all you actually need is an idea that you can get behind, that you're hungry to see manifest in the world and then do that and to execute it and see it through. But where we find... Uh, where where I find that there's a disconnect is that when you decide to to do something, whether that's become an entrepreneur or stay within a corporate job, it comes with a, set, a certain set of expectations that you create unconsciously. And so along with those expectations comes a necessary set of actions. But if your expectation is that it's going to be a 5 out of 10, you will only take a 5 out of 10 set of action, Right. But what that means then in reality is that it's probably going to be more like 20, right? Not five in order to achieve something, whether that's in a career or whether that's in, you know, athletics or whether that's in entrepreneurship, or whatever. And so what we do is we, we don't take sufficient action. And then because of that, we don't see the feedback from our actions. And so therefore we decide that it's the goal is either unattainable or it's not worth pursuing or it's too hard. And we create this narrative about why we can't achieve the things that we want to achieve. Um, and so in the career sense, which is what you're talking about and what I love about this whole conversation specifically with your point of view is that you're actually focusing on people who are like over 50 years old, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so if you think about it, it's almost this, there's this also this other kind of mindset that if when, when I'm old, it's too late for me to do something. Like my mom is one of those. You know, the world always owes her something. She expects the world to deliver things to her on her doorstep when actually the question should become, well, what can you, what can life expect from you? And there's, as I said, there's this expectations and action disconnect. Um, and so what you've, what you've, what you've done also, by the way, is build a successful business on a shoestring budget. Okay, fine. But you still built a successful business, right? Um, that teaches elderly people, I'll say older people, to still yeah, don't use that yeah, elderly yeah. word. The elderly, okay, okay. You can, you can correct me. That's fine. My mom, basically, right, or my sister, for example. Like, it's never too late for them. Like, I don't under, And you know, the thing that I don't understand, and I'd love to get your view, is you know, people they pitch up every day to jobs that they hate, and yet they're like fifty years old. They're not. You don't have like you know. 60 years left necessarily like if you were 20 years old but yet you still choose to stay there for a paycheck and when you when you and once you have the experience of corporate and entrepreneurship which is what you and I both have when you look at it from an entrepreneurship perspective you suddenly go well what's the problem why don't you jump why don't you pivot why don't you make that change 
So I wanted well, to, there, yeah, you, what is your view on that? Yeah. Why don't people make well, that jump? Okay. I have a chapter in my book called on MSU disorder and MSU stands for make stuff up. And by the way, <laughs> stuff and re- you can replace stuff with a four letter Germanic word. And the reality is we view the world and when we don't have knowledge, we tend to fill the void with stuff we make up. And rather than going into the facts and And so as the world is constantly changing, we have to change with it. This is almost like um, when you have, when you have children, you know, your children change every day. Yet very often you don't realize it because you see them every day. Well, the world is changing and it's changing incrementally and it's accelerating. So, you have to start looking at, and, and, and again, it goes back to the, the fixed versus uh, uh, growth mindset model is, do I believe the world is staying the same or do I believe it's changing? It's a belief system. Mm. Now, I had on my podcast, I had Andrew Scott on who wrote the book, The 100-Year Life. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he talks about is saying a a 75-year-old today now has the morbidity rate of a 65-year-old had 20 years ago. So therefore, you've been handed 10 more years of life. What the hell are you going to do with it? Are you going to sit around and just twiddle your fingers? Um, One of the other things that's changed is I joke in, in the U.S., January 1, 1960, we had a great visionary. You probably don't have any idea who this is, but called Del Webb. Del Webb. He opened up a, he opened Sun City, Arizona on January 1. And it was just a five model homes and a strip mall. And he had 10,000 cars out his front door on day one. Now, these folks were all in their 60s and they were wanting to have the good life, retirement. I mean, this is 1960. Hmm. And what I always ask is, okay, of those people, those 10,000 cars, how many of them had smoke coming out when they opened up the window? Probably most of them. They probably all smoked. They didn't live all that long. (laughs) So here I am. I said, I turned 64 in another month. I am much younger and healthier than my father was at the same age. In fact, I take, you know, right now with folks your age, and there are probably people pushing you to save for retirement. And the reality is you may live to 120. So can you retire at 65? The answer is no, you're not going to have enough money. So the, uh, Andrew Scott in his book, The 100-Year Life, talked about the th- this three-stage life where I grew up believing that you grow up, you get educated, then you go work for 30 or 40 years, then you retire and die. Yeah, the reality, that's folks, your age, you are going to keep on shifting and shifting, and you're probably not going to be able to retire until you're 85, mm-hmm. 90. Yeah. Uh, and, and when Andrew goes out and talks to groups, he often sits, talks to folks in their 30s and early 40s, and they go, I don't want to live to 90 but their view of living till 90 is your grandparents yeah. and your life at 90 will not look like your grandparents. It yeah. will. And so therefore you have to look, you have to look and say, how, how am I going to keep on reinventing myself as I go along? And I've got a number of folks in my online community who are now in their late sixties and early seventies who are building portfolio careers. In other words, they're doing three and four different things. Some of it is a consultant. Some of it's part-time employment. Some of it's their own business. Um, I've got I've got Adele who up in Montana who's opening up an art gallery. At the same time, she works for an Indian consulting company doing HubSpot. Uh, as she says, she spans people. Um, and at the same time, you know, she's doing doing a 
she's working for a permaculture nonprofit and getting paid developing their websites. So it's, you know, where I, where I grew up saying I was going to work for a single employer. Nah. And once you, as you, you've, as you've probably seen, once you get the bug of saying, I don't want to work for the man anymore. I want freedom. I want control. Um, you know, one of the things I find a lot of people need accountability. Well, how do I do that? But doing it for my own, as you say, I grew up wanting a paycheck, but when you go work for yourself, it's a, it's about cash flow and not the paycheck. Mm. That's a great point. That's a very great point. And that's, and that's, that's a really hard mindset because when I started career pivot, it took me 18 months before I stopped waking up at four in the morning going, I don't have a paycheck anymore. I don't have that standard. And I'm fine. I knew what my burn rate was. Yeah. You know, I, I had money in the bank. Well, like I said, our health insurance costs blew up in the U S. So what I do, I moved someplace for cheaper healthcare. Yeah. My dad, a while back when I was living in London, he sent me a whole bunch of articles. It was a guy, you're, you're reminding me of this story, but he was basically sending me all these articles from Ecuador. So this chap was American. He moved down to Ecuador um, and he started a financial related business and he was talking about all the opportunities that exist within Ecuador. So people don't go to Ecuador on holiday. Okay. They don't go <laughs> and even fewer go there to live, but he was basically making a very solid case. And I followed these articles for months. Okay. That um, Ecuador was a viable an incredibly viable alternative for for um, for you to move there to your point around being cash flow centric, right? So having a low cost of living, being able to earn a dollar based income through whichever vehicles or entities are, are relevant for you, but that should you do so, the opportunities for wealth creation far far surpass what you could achieve in America to a large degree. And he also made the point that it's to your also echoing what you just said, the sentiments around that is that it's never too late for you to make that kind of move. So um, it's 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 like I just also googled um, um, the world's oldest athletes, <laughs> and just to give and this, this seems to me like they're these shining examples. There's one lady here called Ida Keeling. She's a sprinter. She's 104 years old, and she lives in Harlem, New York. And basically, she she runs track events, and she's got the world record for um for uh, for one hundred meters for people, old elderly people, old people. Um, and so when you think about you know these kinds of stories, we look at them and we don't understand them. It's like we don't see ourselves in that story. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's beyond it's beyond what we feel is attainable for us. And so what we do is we give up. We accept the status quo, that it's too late for me. And as you say, we make up this narrative that, um, that ultimately stops us from getting what we want. Um, so when you, when you look in that, within that context, how does one essentially repurpose their, their mindset in your view? And obviously, you're in a very unique and specialized position here, having consulted to all these people um, and help them to create this kind of change. How does one appeal and activate or appeal to you and activate this this new kind of let's call it a prosperity mindset as opposed to one that's one of you know failed uh, existence? Well, the first thing you have to do is realize what you've done to yourself in your career and life and accept the things as I say, understand what things you want to carry forward and what things do you want to leave behind. And sometimes you're really good at things that you, like in my public speaking, I don't want to do that anymore. Mm. It's exhausting. I still do it to some, but I moderate it. Um, I don't want to do tech anymore. I'm done. In fact, I've relapsed twice. Uh, I want to I do things that, uh, that have meaning. And so the point here is, um, is first you have to realize what do you want to leave behind? What do you want to carry forward? And then start looking at one of the things I've done in my online community is trying to build a community where people go, you're doing what? 
huh? Um, it's about, I call it broadening people's horizons and finding people who are doing things. I, I use the example, I've got Jean LaFay back in my, um, she's my image consultant back in Austin. Jean 71, she has opened a fulfillment by Amazon business. Her first product that she started selling on Amazon was a pierced earring back, not the earring, but the back for women with sagging earlobes. Okay. I don't know anything. I don't have pierced ears. Unlike you, Matt, I don't have any tats. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, that's a niche, but, but it, well, it's sold on home shopping networks and it's a boot. It's a growing market with women who've worn too, too heavy earrings for too many years. And they, the ear, you would know, is that something right? Yeah. She sources the product out of China. She sells it through fulfillment by Amazon. She's now looking at other accessory products. Hmm. Um, and it fills her creative need, but it also gives her the location independence. In fact, rather interesting she came up with this idea while she was on vacation in South Africa. Really? And yes. And so she, you know, she realized that she had been for many years trading at least the previous 10, where she was an image consultant, a personal buyer, um, where she was trading hours for dollars. And she wanted to get, you know, take, Take what she enjoyed out of that, but but build it into a business mm. that's scalable. Mm. It's fascinating to me how so many businesses come from personal experience. It's like um, if people, I often get asked, like, how, I, I want to become an entrepreneur, but how do I start? Like, where do I, you know, what's the seed that I need to plant? Um, and I've got all these ideas and they think about, you know, when it's the right time and and they're looking for validation before they've started. Do you know what I mean? And it's never going to be well, the right time. It's never going to be the right business. And I can tell you also that the thing that you want to start is very rarely the thing that you wind up with. I mean, I founded 10 companies and they're always radically different from the thing that I thought the market would want. Um, and But the thing that I see all the time, these really successful businesses, these stories like um, Spanx, the billionaire, um, I forget her name now, um, but, um, but anyway, so Spanx is a massive company, but it came from this founder from her personal experience where she couldn't find, um, a, a product that fitted her body. And so she created a product from out of her own experience. Nobody wanted to buy it. Long story short, it's now um, a billion dollar company. This uh, lady is 71 years old, same story, um, you know, came from a personal experience. And so often I would say, it's like, stop looking outside of yourself to find the thing that you're going to manifest in the world. Rather look inside of yourself and say, well, what's keeping me up at night? What agitates me? What is an itch that I can't find a scratch for, right? And then execute on that. Just do something. You know, and I love the story. She's 71 years old with a, you know, dropship fulfillment arrangement with Amazon and she's doing it and she's 71, you know, and we've got millions of like 30-year-olds out there, 20-year-olds out there with dreams and yet they just stuck. They're stuck inside the bottle and they can't read the label. You know what I mean? And I'm looking for that spark. Like, you know, how do you create a spark in someone to create that kind of thing? Do you know what I mean? To fail, just to take that chance. Well, it's interesting. I grew up in the generation. I, in 1969, I, I watched Apollo, you know, Apollo 9 land on the moon. And I was I don't know, 12, 13 years old back then. Well, I grew up with the philosophy failure was not an option. Hmm. So when I graduated from college, um, the belief was, you know, if you couldn't get a job, you were a screw up. And that slowly changed as we went through the 80s, particularly as we hit the 90s, where everything changed and, and security in your job. So we've gone from failure is not an option to fail off and fail fast. Mm. And I have seen, and I've got multiple examples going through the great recession where I, I'll use the example. I have a very good friend 
who bought a staffing franchise in early 2007. And then the recession hit and she realized in the first in middle of 2008, this is not going to work. Shut it down. Went on to the next thing. Versus I know somebody else who started their business in 2007 who said, I'm not going to let this fail. And she wrote it out all the way to 2013 where she ended up and ended up having to shut the business down and had 40 and $50,000 in debt. And she'd been out of her industry long enough that she had a hard time getting back in. Hmm. Why? Because she wasn't willing to realize that, okay, I made a mistake. This is not going to work. Let me move on. I mean, it's kind of like what I've been doing with my own online community. One of the things I, I I've developed curriculum in 40 different countries. Um, I've, you know, when I first went into China in early in 2000, you know, I had all stuff shoved in my face. Chinese don't think like us. Mm. And I always claim, no matter who I think the audience is, I'm always wrong. So you have to learn to adapt. <laughs> One of the things you have to do is you have to learn to listen. Mm. When I thought I started, when I thought I started, what I thought the audience would be when I, when I started my online community is I get a bunch of young 50 folks. 50, 52, 54-year-olds. Well, now half my audience is over 65. Uh, that's not what I expected. Okay, I listen and I adapt. And just because I expected something, that expectation was based on my own MSU. I made stuff up. Right? And... and and, and that's why, and be willing to say, okay, I made stuff up. I made a try. I started a business. It didn't work. Let me sh shut it down. Or I started my business. This is, by the way, coming in the next six months to a year, given the, 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 the global recession we're about to move into, is a great time to start a business. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah but most people, who, those of us who have never had a business going, oh, my gosh, it's dangerous now. No, this is a great time. This is these are great opportunities. So you know what, Mark? One thing I've learned is that I mean, the the economy in South Africa is like toilet, right? It's really, really bad, um, and um, and it's not going to get worse. There's loads of systemic issues, etc. Um, yes. And you know, when when I started Digital Kung Fu, it was a bad time to start a business. We had no customers, no cash, no nothing. And you fast forward 18 months and we've won awards. You know, we do like millions a year um, and it was all done in a flat market. And I, if I had a rand or a dollar for every person that I've spoken to that said to me that the market sucks, that the market is depressed and that's why it doesn't want my product. That's why my business failed. That's why my business isn't going to survive, you know. And I know for a fact that the market doesn't care. It doesn't care. Market conditions don't fucking exist unless you're an, econ an, an economist and you're looking to trade stocks and that kind of thing. If you're a business owner and that's your ambition and you want to become an entrepreneur, if you create value and you recognize that you need to pivot, like I mentioned earlier, we pivoted four times just to find our niche, to find problem market fit. And once we found it, everything made sense. We chose a niche. We didn't try to be everything to everyone, which is a massive failure because you're trying to make money. And so you just take money wherever you can. And so startups don't have the luxury of saying no. They have to say yes to everything. And we were there but the moment, initially. But the moment we specialized it and we started saying no to things, we started to scale. We started to make more money. We started to get more customers. We, you know, our pricing made more sense. Our, our competition made sense. We don't have competition today. That's what our customers tell us. But it was all because we specialized at something. We niched at something. We adapted at something or to something. And we owned something in the, in the mind of a customer. So now the market doesn't make sense. or The market doesn't care because our customers know that we are number one. That's why they choose to continue to do business with us. So in, the, in my clients' minds, they don't look at the market and go, oh, it's flat. They don't. They want to look for a company, an executional partner that creates the most value for them. So when they do decide to you know, provide budgets or whatever it is, and they want something executed in the market to the best degree possible, 
they think about us. And so then in that case, the market doesn't matter. It's all about, at the end of the day, how much value can you create? Are you becoming a category king? Are you making a new category for your business? And those are the questions that, that for me matter. So it's never a case of you know, timing, timing in the sense that, it's, um, to your point, it's always a good time to start a business, and especially in a bad market, because if you can make it through a depressed market, through the coronavirus or whatever, and you make it as an events cust- uh, customer or a travel agent right now, you will have a fucking great business at the end of the day. Yeah, it's, you know, I've lived through now through three black swan events. This is the third one, this coronavirus. Uh, first one was 9-11. The second one was the financial fallout and the uh, mortgage debacle in the U.S. Mm. Um, every time, if you are, and by the way, I rode the first two out at successful tech startups. <clears throat> My timing was impeccable. <laughs> and 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 sometimes sometimes you make your luck and sometimes you fall into it. And I've fallen into it multiple times. But today, you know, well, look at this. You know, we, I, you know I, I've, I've built a podcast over three years. I now have, you know, I get, I get 10, 15,000 downloads a month. Amazing. Uh, I've written, a, I've, you know, I've been able to publish four books. Um, you know, I sell 1,000, 2,000 copies a year, uh, you know, where I make five, $6 a copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've scaled my lifestyle down, and I do not live a frugal lifestyle here in in Mexico. And uh, I'm able to live a really good life on my terms. And uh, I don't work for the man anymore. But it's it's a matter of constantly adjust. So someone like yourself, when you reach quote the pinnacle and you've hit your game, the, it's the paranoid who are or will be successful because mm-hmm. what's going to come behind you because something is going to change. Yeah, I know, and that's right. I, yeah, exactly. My um my mentor told me uh, last week he was like, you know what, Matt? We're talking about the coronavirus and sustainable businesses and stuff like this, and he basically said to me, look, only the paranoid survive. Um, and it's a it's a thing because you know this coronavirus thing. So I did a whole bunch of research over the weekend. I was freaking out about, you know, what would the impact be actually practically, et cetera, looking at, you know, developed markets. And and it's kind of like watching a car crash unfold before it actually happens here locally. So you can see what's going to happen. You just have to look and see, okay, well, this is what's probably going to happen here. And in an, in an, an emerging economy like ours, it's probably going to be worse. Right. So how do you operate in that environment where things are just happening? Like it's car wrecks, all over the place. Um, and so my wife says to me, no, 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 I'm, I'm obsessing about it. Um, and I said, yeah, yes, I'm obsessing about it because the consequences are huge if you don't obsess about what the impacts will be. You know, you have to be paranoid in order to survive. You have to be questioning, you know, what are the warning signs in my, in my industry? You know, what's the canary down the mine shaft? You know, when is this canary going to fall off the fucking perch? And what position am I going to be in? Do I have six months? As an events company, I would say, like, you need six months of runway, right? Because everything has been canceled. Everything has been canceled overnight. There was nothing. You could not prepare for that. There was no strategy. There was no nothing. But it's not the end for you because as an events company, you can still do things. You can go online. You can start doing, I mean, we started to do this because our customers phoned us and said, hey, you know, uh, all of our events have closed and been canceled. So what can you do? We've got all this unspent budgets and we're doing this for Microsoft and SAP and various others. Um, And so there's always a winner in this stuff. You know, there's always a winner. Like I spent probably $5,000 on headsets for my team because they all have to work from home. Um, and I paid them, and I was like, shit, that's a lot of money for headsets, right? But it's like, it's a crisis, so someone is going to win. Someone's winning. You just need to understand, well, what's the opportunity? What's the gap? Is there a market in that gap? And I'm, am I positioned as a business to take advantage of that? That's the, well, that's the strategy. The, yeah. Yeah, I'll use the example. I, I listened to the NPR 1A podcast in the U.S., and they um, – and they were interviewing restaurateurs in Manhattan and going, how are you going to keep from going out of business? And they're going, we're going to shift to delivery and takeout. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
there aren't enough grocery stores in Manhattan to feed everybody. Oh, that's ridiculous. So, right? It's 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 one of these things of where you, well, yeah, we're doing this over Zoom. Um, which, by the way, a lot of my buddies at my last tech startup, Life Size, ended up at Zoom, um, and you know, there is there are lots of ways there there will be opportunities in ways that you didn't expect. And I actually, one of my predictions is for myself is I'm using this as an opportunity to grow my business, mm-hmm. right? Um, there are going to be more people unemployed. There are more people going to be looking, oh, crap. Um, this, will, this virus will fundamentally change certain industries and will fundamentally change certain cultures, we were discussing this at a conversational Spanish class I had the other day about the fact is, you know, we're now talking about social distancing. Well, I live in a culture that is very, where people walk up each other and kiss one another. Hmm. Uh, it's a, you know, hugging. Um, and so how will this change society? Mm-hmm. The answer is there's opportunity there. Yeah, it is. It's funny because my team always like hug each other. <laughs> they do. Like I was sitting at my desk the other day and like everyone's hugging each other. I was like, what about me? Why don't I get any hugs around you? You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but but giving but giving other, there is the whole concept of retail arbitrage of where there's a gentleman in Tennessee who decided that he was going to buy up all the hand sanitizer all through the Pacific, the uh, southeast of, of the U.S., and he's now stuck with 17,000 cases of hand sanitizer that Amazon and eBay have cracked down on because he was, he saw a business opportunity in this. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was taking advantage of people and now he's stuck. Um, and so it's looking for opportunities. Well, you know, I mean, this- and, and, and that was, that was a really bad choice. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, you could create like a, a COVID-19 home survival kit. So a friend of mine actually, um, uh, I spoke to him a couple of days ago. So his, his, he's a developer, right? So he runs a shop that develops applications and stuff. So when all this stuff was going on, he basically was like, well, I, I'm going to arbitrage some products, not toilet paper necessarily, <laughs> but like, <laughs> I don't understand that shit, right? No pun intended. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but he's literally creating something called like the COVID nineteen home survival kit. So he's going to aggregate some products, put it in a box, and send that to your home, and you can order it online, right? Because you can't get certain things at home. So his his value is I'm going to source and curate the, these products for you, and so you can just worry about your family, you not have to panic like with everybody else is panic buying right. stuff, right? You know, and so you have to respect that. I mean, yes, Amazon cracked down on him. So what does he need to do? Does he give up and go, oh, shit, I'm stuck with, you know, 17,000 canisters of hand sanitizer. We, you and I both know that that guy can move every single one of those units. You know he can. Yes. So he must just yeah. go direct, put a website together or go to another uh, retailer. There's, and as you say, you know, the way this, it's, there is almost no barriers anymore. You can get, you set up a Shopify account, use a template, literally one hour later, you've got an online store. You've got PayPal, credit card, boom, done. Off you go. Facebook ads. Yeah, no, no, there's, there's no question that the, um, you know, I, I tell people with my book, which by the way is available on amazon.com. Repurposeyourcareer.com, um, but, but, go there now. But I, but I, but I, you know, I publish it via, uh, KDP, Kindle Digital Publishing. I run Amazon ads. I'm about to start running some Facebook ads. Um, and it's just little old me. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, I took some courses on, on targeting other books. Um, one of the things I do is I run an Am- Amazon automatic ad. And one of the things it taught me was, oh, people who bought, who were interested in my book probably bought What Color Is Your Parachute, which has been out on the market for 40 years. And Richard Bowles just recently passed away. So I target 
what color is your parachute? And it's like, okay, uh, this is not rocket science. As long as I'm willing to learn and, and adapt and, and, and don't try and do everything, I have no artistic skills. I'm a recovering engineer. I have zero artistic skills. I leave that to other people. So, you know, well, it's, and, and it's like on my podcast, people tell me I'm a great interviewer and I say, no, I'm not. You're, great. Um, You're a great listener. I, I'm, well, more importantly, I can edit out my verbal vomit. <laughs> and, and how did I learn to do that? Well, in my last tech startup, we did 21 hours of voiceovers for our online training. I learned how to edit audio. That's a good example of repurposing skills. Because I was doing online training, I can take that into podcasting. And yes, I've become a much better interviewee. I'm, I'm a much better interviewer. I'm an incredibly good interviewee. Hmm. But those are different skill sets. So I'm willing to say, okay, I'm willing to learn that. Well, that's it, right? And I suppose the, the key thing there is to update your skills and whatever you feel the gap is. Um, and um, and I think that's a great point. And on that bombshell, I just want to wrap up, um, Mark, and um, ask you this. Why do you do all of this? Like if you, if you pivoted your own personal career so many times, why do you now help others to, to do that same thing? What's the, what's the mo- underlying motivation for that? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, one of the things... I have found is you have to figure out what motivates you. And as I look back on my career, it's always been helping people, right? When I've developed curriculum or I've taught people, it's when the light bulbs went off in people's heads or when people, more importantly, when people went, wow, that was good. Thank you. Mm. Now, one of the things I've learned, and I'm, I'm a Berkman consultant, I use the Berkman assessment, and I pick people's personalities apart, which, by the way, I'm doing currently on my podcast with Phil, um, <laughs> but, and Phil's not his real name, but, uh, but the fact is, those of us who are in our 50s, 60s, and 70s have 20 and 25 and 30 years of experience, and we know when things have sucked, and we know when things have been good is understand why. And I, I like helping people. I love when people go, oh, I can do that. Oh, I mean, I've got, I've got three or four folks in my entrepreneurship mastermind who are all in their 60s. They've all started service-based businesses. And they're all going, wow, this is cool. I didn't even realize I could do that. Hmm. That's amazing. Well, you're one hell of a cool cat, Mark Miller. Uh, so thank you so much for uh, being on the show. Well, thank you for, for having me. <laughs> uh, and where can we go and find more information? If people are listening to us right now, and uh, obviously your well, book we've touched on, but is there a, a online, where's your online community? You've mentioned that a few times. Okay. You can go to careerpivot.com and mm-hmm. either click on the community button at the top. Mm-hmm. There's also careerpivot.com slash community. Mm-hmm which will take you to a page where you can sign up for my waiting list. I let, I bring people in groups into the community. So they, there's a sense of belonging. Um, you'll find repurpose your career, or if you just go to careerpivot.com slash podcast, you will find all the episodes for the repurpose your career podcast. And it's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google podcast, Pandora, Spotify, and, all the places where all fine podcasts are available and you'll find repurpose your career or practical guide for the second half of life on amazon.com and any of the other fine online retailers, including Barnes and Noble, books, a million Powell's, whatever. Amazing. Thanks, Mark. Thanks again, Ben. Cool. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Matt Brown Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, 
your inner game for free right now today. You can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.